Coming at you from Verge headquarters in Indianapolis, I'm Matt Hunkler with Powder Keg Igniting Startups, episode 20. And today I'm talking with the creator of a virtual accelerator for startups designed to launch companies from idea to scale without taking any equity. So what's really important about investing at the early stage is to kind of understand what criteria you're looking for. What we kind of do is make sure that all of the boxes are checked as appropriate so that investors are never kind of accidentally getting into the wrong deal because there was some aspect of diligence that they sort of overlooked or some really important component of the opportunity that they overlooked. Showing on each deal here are the different important things that we look at, mm -hmm. here are the numbers, provides some level of education. That's Erica Dagnan Minahan, co-founder and managing partner of 1000 Angels. And this is my conversation with her in the Tribeca neighborhood of New York City, sharing her experience as an angel investor and her new program through Co-Founders Lab, this virtual accelerator. That journey and the lessons learned along the way coming up on Powder Keg Igniting Startups, where each week we share the untold stories of innovation, leadership, and technology beyond Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and I'm the founder and CEO of Verge, which is a network of local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent outside of Silicon Valley. And as my team and I have grown Verge over the past seven years, we've hosted more than a thousand entrepreneurs at our events around the world. Those founders have gone on to raise more than $500 million in capital collectively, and they're disrupting industries, creating wealth, and changing the world. That's why we started this podcast. Each guest has their own powder keg full of raw skills and talents that's ignited their startups and fueled their growth. These are their stories. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Hunkler, that's H-U-N-C-K-L-E-R, and let me know how Verge and Powder Keg and I can help you with your entrepreneurial journey. In the meantime, please make sure you subscribe to the Powder Keg wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, all the major podcast outlets, including, of course, iTunes. You can find us on iTunes using our handy link, powderkeg.co slash iTunes. And using that link, you can subscribe, make sure you don't miss a single episode, not a single conversation that we have here. And I just want to give a huge shout out really quick to all of you powder keggists out there who have already left us a review. It's your feedback and sharing that helps us reach so many more people. And this community that we're growing is so inspiring. It's what keeps me coming back here every single day, making sure we're bringing the best guests to you with every episode. Thank you. This episode of Powder Keg is brought to you by our friends at Developer Town. Now, Developer Town is a company that helps entrepreneurs and enterprises build and launch digital products with traction. I know the folks at DT really well. They've got a ton of experience working with people who have innovative ideas. And so one of the things that I love that they do is they always try to push themselves outside of their office space. And they've decided to learn a little bit more about where innovation came from with this series that they're doing. The Developer Town marketing team flew to New York City to meet with Derek Mock, senior innovation brand manager at Anheuser-Busch InBev. They were curious where huge enterprises like this find their inspiration for innovation. Here's Derek to explain. It transcends levels. So I say that to say, 
If I, if I believe I have a good idea and I sit anywhere in the company, I'm working on a line in one of our breweries on the front end, uh, selling into a handful of accounts in Flagstaff, Arizona, mm -hmm. or I happen to be uh, tasked with innovation on the innovation team, it, it doesn't matter. Good ideas can come from anywhere. So we have an idea jam internally every year. We have formal innovation teams with a variety of scopes. So it allows us to get even deeper into this mega category, whereas before, it was structured again by product category. Didn't necessarily staff in the same way to allow the variety of focus. So we, we aggregate a lot of ideas across. We have uh, what we call a disruptive growth organization, which is tasked with really challenging our business models. Innovation can come from anywhere, and Developer Town helps enterprise clients look at problems or opportunities through a digital lens, guiding them through a proven process to building digital products aimed at the core objectives of the business. Think your company could benefit from this approach? Reach out to our friends at Developer Town at developertown.com/powderkeg. Developer Town, start something. I'm very excited to share this conversation with Erica Dagnan Minahan because she's not only a seasoned investor but also an experienced entrepreneur. Now, one of the things I love about Erica is that she has a background in private equity and investment banking. That gives her a little bit of a unique perspective as an angel investor, and you'll hear that in some of the ways that she answers questions and in how she goes about approaching valuations and solving problems. As I mentioned previously, she's a managing partner at 1000 Angels, which is a private digital venture investment network. 1000 Angels was actually launched by OneVest, a New York-based investment crowdfunding platform focused on funding startup entities. Now, Erica's experience working with OneVest, working with Co-Founders Lab, which is owned by OneVest, uh, as well as founder dating now, uh, gives her a very unique perspective. And we get into some really cool topics here, including things like marketing plans for your product, um, figuring out empathy, and how to make sure you have empathy for your customers, but also to attract the right investors. Now, we also get into a little bit of the road mapping and how to create a new business or a new product within an existing business. There's a ton of information in here for beginner entrepreneurs, but also for angel investors and seasoned entrepreneurs as well. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's set this thing off. Uh, thank you so much. I, I've heard so much about Tribeca, and of course, we connected here a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. um, you were telling me a little bit about this neighborhood in particular. Um, what's interesting about Tribeca in terms of the tech scene in New York? Yeah, well, uh, you know, New York in general has an awesome tech scene, but, you know, sort of neighborhood by neighborhood has its own vibe of founders, entrepreneurs, and VCs. So, you know, here in Tribeca, we have our own little kind of community. Um, you know, we've got Tribeca Ventures down here and Tribeca Angels down here. And a lot of founders uh, in the tech space, once they get their big exit, mm -hmm. this is the neighborhood they choose to move to. So we've also got a lot of latent talent in terms of uh, people who are looking for their next big thing, starting their next big thing, potential advisors, mentors, co-founders. So it's it's a pretty fun neighborhood to live in. Do you get some of that like serendipitous connectivity happening naturally, or is it such a big city that you're not really, and everyone's moving so fast that you're not necessarily serendipitously running into each other well, you know, at there, Whole Foods or yeah. something. Well, there, there's some natural stuff that happens. Um, you know, I have a bunch of neighbors in my building um, who I'm friends with who have done startups, cool. you know, really successful startups. So you meet people, you know, that live on your floor or live in the building. 
Uh, you know, we also have a really great public school here. So PS 234, you're going to meet a lot of like parents through there. And, you know, you'll usually find parents who've done really amazing things in their career. So that's a great way to meet people. Um, you know, there's another, uh, uh, a couple other more structured um, programs for meeting people in the neighborhood. So one is like Charlie O'Donnell from Brooklyn Bridge Ventures oh, yeah. always does like neighborhood dinners for people in the venture community. So to bring together like founders and entrepreneurs for these sort of private curated dinners, we're a pretty tight knit community. And I think that um, we like to have fun together yeah. and build relationships. And, you know, that's what makes, I think, being in the tech ecosystem in New York uh, a lot of fun. Shared experiences. You can probably have some pretty amazing ones here um, in New York. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to talk about all of them. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Is there? Is there? What one, happens at the dinner party stays at the dinner is party. Is there one experience you know that that you can share that has been particularly um, catalyzing or interesting, just to kind of give a taste for the kinds of collisions that can happen? I mean, I don't know if I would describe them necessarily as collisions. Um, but you know, I think one of the really cool things that happened for me was that, you know, I was working on a startup. What was it? At least four years ago, almost five years ago now. Um, and then one of my co, one of my, you know, sort of co-founders, co-collaborators on that startup, uh, you know, we were working out of our building and he ended up loving my building so much that he ended up moving in here, you know, became my neighbor within the next couple of years, worked on a few different things. We stayed in touch. Um, and then, you know, in over the last two years, he's actually started uh, a really amazing fintech company called Stash, which is like one of the most wow. successful fintech apps in the market. So, you know, it's just really interesting how, you know, you kind of maintain relationships with people and you run into them and yeah. you build a community. Um, and then, you know, sometimes people will create things that are really special. So uh, you can sort of never tell where it's going to end up. Well, of course, now you're more on the investment side and, and even helping people with this virtual accelerator that you're running. Right. I definitely want to make sure we talk a lot about that. Um, but maybe you could talk to me a little bit about that startup you were working on three, four years ago. What's it like starting a startup in New York City? I've done a couple of different things. Um, the one that I was talking about was actually uh, an angel group that I was starting. Yeah. So, you know, uh, that was fun in itself, but it definitely doesn't fall into the category of startup. Uh, I actually did start in 2009 a beverage company uh, that made a uh, sort of holistic health beverage for uh, breastfeeding moms. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a really interesting experience. That was a true startup experience. Yeah. Um, wow. And even in the beverage now, industry too, that's a tough, that's it was a tough very, one to very crack tough. into. But, you know, a, a large part of the reason that I wanted to do it was because, you know, I'm very committed to a career in early stage venture capital. And I think that in order to, you know, really be kind of a viable advisor, mentor, um, investor, you need to have gone through the experience yourself. So it was a great learning experience for me. With Co-Founders Lab, I mean, you know, we, we are still kind of a startup, you know, yeah. building and growing in New York City. I mean, we're not, you know, that that early, but we're still... You don't have to find know, traction. I, I still consider us kind of startup-y, you know, yeah. we're, we're uh, you know, we're scrappy, we're growing, we're trying to uh, serve our customers really well. So, you know, even now, I you know, even though I'm an investor, I'm also, you know, kind of in startup mode. You've so. definitely got that vibe of the, of the sort of culture of a yeah, startup. Absolutely. That's cool. Well, tell me a little bit about the angel group, because it seems like there's so many angel groups in New York, which, you know, coming from the Midwest, we don't have 
quite so many angel groups per city. Yeah. Um, what's, well, what's that like as an angel? You know, there are a lot of angel groups all over the country. Um, you know, Absolutely. New York has a few. Um, we also just have a lot of like super angels, people yeah. who don't necessarily do groups who, you know, are maybe experienced investors and like to just do their own deal selection. 1000 Angels is a little bit different. It's not really a New York City angel group. Mm. Um, in fact, it's not really an angel group at all. It's actually a digital venture investment platform. So it's basically a platform for people who want to build a portfolio of high quality early stage seed and series A investments, but they don't really have the time or energy or inclination or they're not in the right geographical location to actually participate in an angel group. Um, and traditional angel groups, you know, usually require a little bit more of their members. You have to go to meetings. You're supposed to do the diligence. It's really kind of more about the process and networking. Uh, 1000 Angels is for people who are looking to get exposure to this really awesome asset class. Uh, so we provide a digital portal where they can get all the information that they need on a very select curated pipeline of opportunities and start to build a portfolio over time. Um, but they can achieve the kind of diversity uh, that would be very hard to replicate on their own. That's It seems like a huge value prop to someone that isn't necessarily be 100% focused on angel investing and building out their portfolio. But what are some of the challenges that come along with that value add um, that, that a, a user might find or someone that wants to get into angel investing? Everyone has sort of a different level of knowledge, a different background, um, you know, a different interest in the amount of education that they want to do to kind of get up to speed. Uh, so, you know, certainly um, I would say that the asset class is unfamiliar to most people. Um, so there is going to be, you know, a little bit of a learning curve, but, you know, with a platform like a thousand angels, you know, our job is to help you get up that fairly quickly and to, you know, really kind of distill the important information in, in a consistent format. Do you guys offer education outside of just the education about the companies themselves? Is there education on the platform? So, so what's really important about, um, investing at the early stage is to kind of understand what criteria you're looking for. So there are certain criteria that make an investment appealing, right? So what we kind of do is, you know, make sure that all the boxes are checked as appropriate so that investors are never kind of accidentally getting into the wrong deal because there was some aspect of diligence that they sort of overlooked or some really important component of the opportunity that they overlooked. Beyond that, you know, they have a lot of leeway in terms of, well, I really like this product, you know, versus that one doesn't really turn me on. So, you know, the format of our offering in itself, like, you know, showing on each deal here are the different important things that we look at, mm -hmm. here are the numbers, provides some level of education. Um, but in addition to that, I also do teach courses. Um, so we do an intro to angel investing, which is like a virtual course uh, that our members can sign up for. And then also an advanced topics in angel investing. You know, I just think it's really important for people to understand um, not just on a, you know, what makes a deal investable perspective, but what is a really smart way to invest in the asset class, right? Like, you know, what size of checks should I be writing? How much diversification do I need for this to make sense? What do I need to know about follow on rounds? You know, all those kind of things are also really important factors. What made you decide to go from entrepreneur and starting up to then going into the investment side of things? So I've actually always been on the investment side okay. of things. It was actually more of the reverse. So um, I actually, so I started my career in investment banking. 
Uh, I did investment banking for eight years, including yeah, I, uh, two I years at Columbia Business School. Uh, and then in 2006, I got into early stage venture. So I was doing early stage venture for almost three years as executive director of Golden Seeds, which is one of the largest angel networks um, in the world. And, you know, I, I was really enjoying my experience there, but, you know, we were one of the first groups to focus on investments in women-led companies. So we were getting a lot of attention in the press. Um, you know, I was like getting quoted in the Wall Street Journal. I was like going on all these TV shows. So, you know, I had a lot of, I had a lot of attention on me as an expert in the field. And I felt like this doesn't feel authentic to me because I don't actually have experience doing a startup. You know, I mean, yes, now I've gained experience making investments, but how am I going to advise a founder when I've never actually done a startup myself? So I purposely left, you know, the, um, the industry for a few years to do my own startup. That's when I did the beverage startup, um, you know, but always knowing that I wanted to get back onto the investment side. So, you know, I think that um, what you'll find, especially with a lot of people in the New York ecosystem, because uh, our primary, uh, you know, or at least since the old days, our primary industry is finance, mm -hmm. um, that people will very fluidly go between investing and, and starting. Yep. I like that. I, I would imagine your perspective changed a little bit as an investor after you kind of went into the entrepreneurial space. What kinds of things did you learn during that entrepreneur phase when you were working on that beverage startup that changed how you approached investing or, or did it change? Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, I think it changed a lot. Um, you know, I learned just how hard it is, yeah. um, you know, and it gave me a lot more empathy for founders. Um, you know, I kind of think about the person that I was evaluating deals before doing my own startup. You know, when you come out of the world of investment banking, you know, it's not exactly, uh, there's not a lot of love there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's not the kind of industry where there's a lot of love. It's, uh, you know, about the numbers. And the other thing that I learned that was really crucial was that marketing is everything. And, you know, you'll see that that's the biggest uh, thing that creates a challenge for founders especially in the tech world they kind of think oh you know if i i'm going to build something great and then everyone's just going to use it i mean i remember <laughs> that was exactly what happened to me when i started my product um you know my husband said to me oh you know how are you going to market this thing um you know he said to me all right you know you've built this you know you have this idea for this really great drink you know how are you going to market it what's your marketing plan and I was just kind of like, well, I don't know, you know, we'll see, you know, and, and then when I actually got into it, I was like, wow, this is way harder than it looks. And, yeah. you know, it's not Especially a consumer brand. Yes, it is really, really hard. And it is getting out there and pounding the pavement. And, um, you know, it, it's just it, it's a whole nother ball of wax. So, you know, I really I really learned um, the importance of, you know, having a great marketing strategy and knowing how you're going to sell something before you bring it to market. Um, and then also really just, you know, having the empathy for these founders who have, you know, gotten some traction and, you know, to realize uh, it's a really big deal, you know, and, and they've worked really hard um, and to really have respect, you know, for uh, the type of work that they're doing. I mean, I think it, it deserves a lot of respect. So I'd say a lot of it is much more touchy-feely stuff. Sure. I, I think empathy is something that probably doesn't get talked enough about yeah. um, in the entrepreneurial world. Why do you think empathy is such an important entrepreneurial trait? What differentiates a good founder from, you know, a, a one that's less likely to succeed 
um, is being able to realize that, you know, your company and your product is not about you, it's about your customer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you see so many founders that are like, I have this idea and I think, you know, and it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what you think, you know, all that matters is what your customer wants and what your customer thinks. And, you know, can you listen to them and can you get over your own ego um, about making it about you and craft a business um, that's going to address your customers' needs but also support you? You know, I've seen a lot of people who create very negative financial situations for themselves um, by, you know, refusing to give up, as they say. But, you know, at the same time, they don't realize that they're kind of ignoring the market. It's great to believe in yourself and to have faith, um, but there's no, you know, law that says that like everyone is allowed to create whatever they want and have it be successful. Uh, so, you know, I think that founders who, you know, aren't so ego driven and can really understand other people uh, are much more adaptable when it comes to making the pivots they need to make a business successful. Absolutely. That that makes so much sense to me uh, from a standpoint of those founders that say I and me as opposed to my customers and mm -hmm. they. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you listen for as an investor now when you're hearing a pitch or talking to a founder about their company? I mean, you know, yes. <laughs> I guess so. Maybe not um, overtly, but Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's just it's just one of the you know, list of 40 to 50 things that you're looking for. Yeah. But really, you know, it's, it, it's just, you know, is this person responsive to the market? Are they responsive to their customers? And, you know, are they a good person? Um, I love that you're really focused now on helping make entrepreneurs better yes. entrepreneurs. Yes, I am. Can you tell me a little bit about this virtual accelerator? Sure. So it's been, it's been really fun. Um, you know, before uh, starting A Thousand Angels, I was actually managing director at Dream Adventures for a couple of years um, and, you know, was part of a traditional, you know, uh, full-time accelerator. So we would take in, you know, about 15 companies who would work with us, you know, sort of every day, right? Everybody's, you know, in the same space for three months. You know, we would invest in the companies and, you know, spend a lot of time with them um, and then make follow-on investments out of our fund. Uh, and that was really wonderful, but, you know, uh, it, it, it's not a model that works for everybody, right? right? So, you know, one thing is, you know, you've got to give up equity, you know, you've got to move, you kind of got to be at the right stage where, you know, somebody, you know, necessarily wants to give you the $25,000. And also just, you know, not everybody can do it. You know, it's a highly competitive process, you know, to get into, you know, a Techstars, a Y Combinator, Dreamit, you know, AngelPad, whatever it is. Um, it's not accessible. And, you know, the timing also, you know, might not necessarily work for you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as our co-founders lab community started to grow, um, and over the summer, we were fortunate enough to uh, merge with Founder Datings. So we brought the whole Founder Dating community into our existing co-founders lab community as well. We started to think about, you know, resources that we could provide to this group of, you know, 300,000 founders um, that could help them get to where they need to be faster. And, you know, I kind of thought back to my accelerator days and thought, hey, wouldn't it be really fun if we did kind of a, you know, light version of the accelerator? You know, it's only six weeks long. We're going to cover sort of the same material, but, you know, there's no equity investment. You know, you can be at any stage. 
Um, we'll bring in some really amazing mentors. You know, it'll all be virtual, so you can just, you know, dial in from your, you know, computer during your lunch hour. Um, and, you know, for us, it was kind of like, okay, let's, you know, create sort of an MVP of this, which I did. And we started it in November of last year. And, you know, the first cohort was a big success. You know, the participants were just so grateful. They were like, this is the best thing ever. And, you know, I, I, I also really appreciated it um, because, number one, you know, I, I love um, not just personally helping advise other founders, but um, bringing, you know, bringing out all the resources that I can from my own relationships with, you know, other successful founders who've like successfully raised or successfully scaled businesses. Um, and then, you know, investors who could potentially, you know, fund their businesses as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it's been a really amazing journey and I feel really grateful because by doing it, I feel like I kind of am learning something new every day too. Uh, and that's really important in this business because this business changes like, week to week <laughs> so you have, For to, sure. you have to keep sharp and fresh <laughs> uh, what what can founders do to get the most out of digital programs whether it's a virtual accelerator like the one you've put together yeah. or a udemy course yeah well you know there, there's a lot of resources out there and you know i think that a hybrid approach is good so one of the things that you know i like about the about the accelerator program that i do and you know there's, you know, a million different programs that you can do for all different stage and different types of information. Um, sometimes it's nice to do something that has um, something of a real-time component just to, like, keep you accountable a yeah. little bit, right? Because if I download a series of videos, you know, I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I'll watch these. <laughs> like, nobody's really paying attention to, did I participate? Did I complete assignments? You know, where am I getting in my progress? Um, there's, you know, there's zero accountability. Um, so, you know, I think that, uh, you, you know, taking advantage of all the wonderful, you know, inexpensive and free resources that are available on the web is awesome. You know, yeah. read all the great books. Um, there are some really good books that we recommend. Um, you know, uh, my friend David Ronick, who is one of the founders of Stash, always recommends a book called Running Lean, which I haven't read yet, but like he's amazing. So I know that if he recommends it, it's got to be good. Um, you know, we, of course, Lean Startup, you know, everybody reads. I love the book Zero to One. I feel like everyone should read that yeah. before they, you know, even start figuring out what their idea should be. Not an endorsement of Peter Thiel, but an awesome <laughs> book. Um, and then we also, um, you know, uh, love to, you know, point people just towards, you know, you can go down like a whole YouTube, you know, rabbit hole with all the amazing videos that are available there from like Harvard Business School and, you know, all the different business schools that are bringing in some real heavy hitters. Um, but at the same time, I would complement that, you know, with something that you might have that'll give you some accountability and a timeline, right? So, you know, whether that's a program like Co-Founders Lab Accelerator or even just, you know, having your cousin check in with you once a week and, you know, you having to give a full progress report. Um, you definitely want to have something that's going to provide a little bit more structure uh, to your progress. Some kind of accountability partner. I think it helps. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the big things that we did at Dream It, mm. right? Which is that you have three months to work your ass off. It's a very artificial, you know, deadline, right? Yeah. But, you know, as long as you know that it's there, oh, Demo Day is in three months you know, I got to do all this stuff. 
You know, sometimes you have to give yourself artificial deadlines yeah. um, for things to work. It's kind of like being in school. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the things that founders can do to put what they learn into practice? Talk to me about like, as they're going through this virtual accelerator, what sorts of things are you looking for to see if founders are, are really getting the most out well, of it? Well, we, you know, our, ours is very simple to follow, uh-huh. right? So, you know, we do, you know, there, there are actionable deliverables that you're going to have a chance to work on during the program. Now, whether you finish them all in six weeks, I mean, I I would say that, you know, you probably have to be more of like a superstar to get it all done in six weeks just because to me, all these items are very, very natural, but that's because I've been doing this for 20 years, right? What are some of those? uh, So I'll tell you what we do. So, so the first thing that we do is putting together, um, like an MVP questionnaire. So basically a complete outline of like, this is everything that my product is, you know, a million questions around, you know, what your product should be doing, how you want it to work, uh, who your customer is, you know, what's the problem that you're solving. So really like filling out a very complete questionnaire to make sure that you've kind of like thought through all the aspects of your business. Mm-hmm. On that on that MVP questionnaire, mm-hmm. I would imagine that the temptation sometimes for founders would be to put more into that MVP than is actually Yeah, and if they're M doing or minimum. that, I'm going to tell them <laughs> you, you don't like delete all of that, right? Yep. So that's kind of the point of it okay. is to figure out what what can I really build that is like, what is the problem and what's the minimum viable solution, right? Let me figure that out. Then we work on, you know, user surveys and questionnaires. This is something that a lot of people don't want to do, but it's so important because same thing, you've got the ego problem, which is that it's really hard to hear people tell you that your idea sucks. And you know, I've been there. I've been like, oh my God, I have this great idea. And then I start talking to people about it. And you know, my some of the, my potential customers are like, yeah, I don't really like that. You know, and it's horrible when you hear that and you're like, oh man, you know, but, but you have to go through and do it because otherwise, you know, you're just kind of like lying to yourself and you're gonna put yourself into a bad position. So we you know, help people figure out how to do a user survey. It's going to give them the kind of valuable information that they need to either validate the problem that they're solving or to figure out, is there something else that they can address? Um, then we have a really amazing digital marketing person, um, who comes in and does a whole session on kind of like growth hacking, growth hacking and traction channels. And she actually has this amazing, like seven step plan to getting your first hundred customers. So we really kind of like lay things out. Like, you know, here are some actionable things that you can take what you have and start doing, um, either to build a pipeline of customers or to start getting customers sort of depending on where you are with development. Um, then we outside of that accelerator, have you talked to founders that skipped that user feedback stage and jumped right to marketing? Almost everybody does <laughs> because they don't want to hear it. Yeah. You know, and it's like they're protecting their egos a little yeah, bit. It, you know, it's like, well, you can do that. I don't advise it. I know it's more fun to skip that part, you know, but to me, that's Maybe in the, the short like, term. Yeah. That's the like eating your vegetables part of starting a business. Hmm. Um, you know, the other thing too that we learn is that a lot of people are not aware of whether or not they have product market fit and instead they're trying to grow when they don't have product market fit that to me is the biggest problem that we see with startups which is that why are you investing money in growth if you don't have product market fit and do you know what product market fit is well his definition which i think is 
the best definition that I've seen is basically that you do and you do you know a survey of your users and you simply ask them how upset would you be if you couldn't use this product anymore <laughs> and they can pick very upset kind of upset I really don't give a shit <laughs> <laughs> totally <Right>? apathetic <laughs> and so if at least 50 50 percent of your customers don't pick I would be very upset you do not have product market fit that's a good test it is a really good test and it's like oh damn you know you kind of realize products that you really love you would say oh I'd be very disappointed and the other ones you kind of you know you don't really care and then you realize do my users not really care if I disappeared tomorrow and you realize just how high a bar yeah. it is when you want to have a successful product successful business things that have product market fit slack I'd be very sad if that disappeared tomorrow. You know, Facebook, although we said it's been very stressful lately, <laughs> I would still be very sad. Yeah, me too. You know, I mean, it's it's like very obvious when you're going to miss something. And, you know, same thing. This is a very black and white test that doesn't let you lie to yourself about whether or not you've achieved product market fit. That makes me so want to do that videos. test right you now. You should do yeah, it. Yeah, we should. Right this minute. Absolutely. That's good. Maybe <laughs> What we did you think of Erica's interview? I could live without it. <laughs> I meant more for our users at, at Burge. But yes. No, I, I, th I think we definitely, if people are still listening at this point, which of course they are, uh, that means that there's definitely product market feed on oh, this particular episode. I, I love this concept of a very prescriptive, mm -hmm. do I have product market fit? Yeah. And it's very binary. And things that, you know, sort of get you to face the truth without making it feel like it's about you personally. Right. You know? So, so after we do that, we, uh, we review how to build a financial model, you mm. know, the right way. Uh, what is we, the right way? Bottoms up? Well, yes. Yeah. So side to side? everything is bottom up. <laughs> I will punch you if you come at me with a top down one, literally. But I the market's so you. big, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> we just get 1%. Yeah. Oh my God. It's going to be pretty rich. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's always bottom up. Um, you know, we always have, you know, revenue drivers from like marketing activities or, you know, things that we can reasonably predict. Um, and then, you know, just showing people what, what, what is really the purpose of it. Right. I mean, you know, how are we projecting our future cash needs and, you know, also analyzing, is there a business here? You know, will this thing ever make money? You know, is it scalable? Are there enough kind of like deep pools for this to be scalable? Um, and then the last part is, uh, figuring out how to successfully do an investor pitch. Um, you know, we do sort of like a very, uh, to the point kind of 10 slide format for an investor pitch and just get people comfortable with, you know, being able to present their idea in a way that's compelling yeah. and understanding what investors want. And then we wrap it up with like a, a very small virtual demo day where I'll bring in like four or five, you know, angels, super angels, VCs. Uh, we'll let people do their presentations and then get some feedback. Oh, cool. So you kind of, you know, come out of it with the chance to at least pitch to like a few real investors and mm -hmm. get feedback from them. And, you know, they're sort of captive audience. They have to listen to you. Um, so it's nice. So it, it, it's, it's really something that's applicable and great information for people at almost any stage. Oh, I love that. I, I think that uh, those last two pieces, the financial model and then the pitch, um, sometimes get a little too uh, connected, right? Where 
I, I don't know if you've seen pitches like this, but like where the founder will jump right into their financial model right off the bat and they skip some of those steps like hooking attention, relating to the audience mm -hmm. and actually talking about why this is a pain point and how mm -hmm. to solve that pain point. Mm -hmm. um, is, is that a problem that you see? Is this like a, a Midwest of... thing? Because I feel like most founders, you know, are like, oh God, do I have to do a financial model? Why are you making me? <laughs> it could be. It could be. <laughs> yeah. No, I It's, hard, I definitely... it's hard to get the founders to do the financial oh, model. Oh God. I, I see the opposite. You know, I mean, today I was just, uh, you know, sort of finishing up due diligence with a friend of mine who's got an amazing startup and she's, you know, uh, closed on kind of, you know, 50% of her $2 million seed round and, you know, we want to invest in the rest and you know, she sends me all the materials and I'm like, hey, where's the model? And she's like, oh, you want that? <laughs> and I was like, yes. She's like, well, I did it because I'm a total nerd, but, you know, most investors don't really want that. I'm like, I want it. Please send it to me. So, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> Maybe we've a just lot beaten it into the heads of our... It's like uh, pulling teeth, you know. Yeah. And the thing that, you know, I just try to um, impress upon founders is that, listen, yes, I think it's very lazy investing to invest in startups without going through a model or invest in startups that don't have a model. But I also think that as a founder... The model is really important because this is you putting on paper, hey, this thing that I'm expecting to do actually will make money one day. You know, and unless you've proven that to yourself with math, you know, I don't know why you're doing anything. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> right. and if it's obvious, then fine. It should be easy to make the model. But you don't know what your capital requirements are. I mean, you know, look at that company's virtual and what happened to them. I mean, you know, the founder literally after like, torpedoing the company was like, oh, I just, you know, I didn't know what burn rate was. Like I didn't, I never built a financial model. You know, I thought this thing was just like obvious. I mean, it, it boggles my mind that people can get to that level and not, you know, even once kind of like run the numbers properly. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's dangerous, yeah. you know, for you as a founder, but then also for your employees, yeah. you know, you have a responsibility uh, to your employees, to your investors, and to yourself to make sure that whatever it is that you're building and the way that you're building it, that it makes economic sense. 20, 30 minutes of time in an Excel spreadsheet can go a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, you can model a lot further than 20, 30 minutes, but it's clear sometimes when founders haven't even done that. Yeah, no, and a, and a lot of them don't. Yeah. Especially in California. You, <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned a couple of... Um, key metrics there, you know, capital requirements, burn rate. What are some other like key areas of that financial model that you really hone in on when you look at it? Uh, well, you know, what we're looking for is scalability. Yep. We're looking to make sure that the assumptions are reasonable. Uh, the biggest thing that a proper model shows is that you've thought out your marketing channels. That's the number one thing that this is showing me. If you're doing a top-down one, then I'm going to punch you because I know you haven't thought, of, thought about your marketing channels. Because why else would you be saying, well, we'll just get 1% of the market per month, you know, or whatever insane assumption it is that you've made. Um, so, you know, we're looking for, you know, do the marketing channels make sense? Um, are the pools kind of as deep as you think that they're going to be? 
you know, is your customer acquisition cost reasonable? Have you kind of like really done the research and thought that through? How much total capital does this company need? You know, how much are they going to burn total before, mm -hmm. you know, they get to be cash flow positive? Um, you know, do they get to a significant enough level of revenues that they would make an attractive acquisition target? Because, you know, M&A is the most likely outcome for most companies. Um, yeah, and, you know, is it right? When there's <laughs> yeah. mistakes check in the it, math. Yeah, when there's mistakes in it, it tells me something about you. Yeah. No, that's a really, the, that last point's a really good one. Yeah. Check your work. Right. It has to be perfect. Yeah, measure twice, cut once. Yeah. What Former uh, bankers know all about that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet you hone in pretty quickly. Yeah. The the pitch. Talk to me a little bit about the pitch. When when these founders complete your accelerator. Oh my god. So yeah, I'm basically like giving away all my accelerator info now. There, there's, there's obviously more that happens, but you know, the number, number, well, the, number one. The values thing. and the experience. Oh, not, no, no, not totally. knowing the process. No, I know. But the number number one thing that happens and you know, I'm it doesn't matter how many times I say it. It really doesn't matter how many times I say it. <laughs> it really does not matter. Founders continue to do this. Is that you'll give them a sort of ironclad template for what's supposed to be in the pitch. And then they'll just instead just talk about their product the whole time. And it's like, this is a pitch to an investor to make me feel like if I give you some money now, you're gonna make me rich and to inspire a greedy feeling. Not for me to hear how awesome your product is because the thing is an investor pitch is an investor pitch. It's not, you know, a product detail demo, right? So. Know your target. Right, getting people to focus on what is the problem, right? Who has that problem, right? Who is my market? What is my solution? How am I gonna make money doing my solution? You know, why am I the right person to do this solution? I mean, it's like a very, very simple formula, but you know, time after time, I will, you know, we'll go through this whole thing. Here are the, you know, 10 pages. Here's what you need to cover on each page. One of them can be about your product, <laughs> not all 10. And then people will be like, oh, I, I did my deck, Erica. Should we go through it together? Yes, it says it. And it's like all just about their product. So, you know, really getting people to realize that a business is not about your cool idea. It's about a pain point. That's what you need to focus on to investors. People have this problem, not I came up with this cool thing, you know, and, and that's the number one problem that I see with bad pitches. Can you tell me about a founder that did a really good job of describing and bringing that pain point to life in their pitch? If, if you were getting pitched by Slack. Oh, God. Well, that's a really easy one, right? Is email is, you know, is horrible, right? <laughs> Inboxes, like the structure of an inbox is awful. You know, we use Gmail at work and, you know, messages get threaded. I'm like constantly missing things because, you know, it got threaded under another subject line. So I never saw it. Um, you know, everybody knows how painful email is. And so Slack basically was like, hey, let's, you know, get you guys onto something totally different that makes it easier to communicate. So I think that that pain point is very obvious to everybody and it's, it's pretty intense, yeah. right? So it definitely is intense. Yeah. You get the head nod pretty quickly in the room if you're pitching a product that solves that pain point. Yeah, absolutely. We had in DreamIt um, a really good girlfriend of mine. We were, she was actually my first roommate in college. Uh, who, you know, I worked with and we invested in, um, you know, through the Dream It Fund. 
uh, who was solving the problem of um, sort of doing dynamic pricing for fitness studios. Mm. Um, so, you know, what was the pain point? Well, you know, you look at what's happened with ClassPass and all these platforms that are, you know, creating a lot of economic havoc for these studios that kind of, you know, they don't really understand the numbers. They don't understand how, like, you know, going on ClassPass or Gilts, you know, is going to actually cannibalize their business. And they don't really have tools for extracting the most value from their courses. I'm sorry, their, their classes, not courses. Um, but if you look at hotel industry, airline industry, you know, it's something like uh, every time an industry has instituted dynamic pricing, total revenues for the industry go up by like 30%. Mm. So, you know, we could see how, hey, there was this, you know, very serious pain point for the studios. You know, this is something that's been successful in other markets. Let's apply it to this, you know, $6 billion market. That's something that's really interesting that I've noticed that successful founders do is they'll compare this industry with this industry, how mm -hmm. technology affected this industry, or how cycles tend to repeat themselves yeah. um, in terms of software and how software is eating the world, mm -hmm. um, which gets tossed around quite a bit as well. Um, so that's a really good point, just kind of pointing out that um, not only describing the pain point, but showing how the same thing happened in another industry. Yeah. Um, now, that's a very valuable tool when you're trying to convince investors that, you know, what you're trying to bring to the market is possible. You know, if your name isn't Elon Musk, people are going to have a really hard time using their imagination. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I would love to see the next round of pitches uh, for the Virtual Accelerator. Yes, I definitely will invite you cool. to be on our panel. That would be really fun. I would love to see it. And if I can be helpful in any way, okay. uh, certainly let me know. But if listeners would like to check out the Accelerator through Co-Founders Lab, where should they go? Um, so you can go to cofounderslab.com and click on uh, Accelerator. I think it's just like a link in the top there. Nice. So we have a whole learning center, but I think you can just go straight to our accelerator. So pretty sure it's learning.cofounderslab.com backslash accelerator, but you can always just click it and link there from the homepage. Uh, if you want to, you know, chat with me, if you're interested in the program, you can email me. My email is erica, E-R-I-C-A at onebest.com. Uh, happy to you know answer any questions that you have about the program and learn more about your startup. Thanks for making yourself available. I really appreciate that. We'll yeah, we'll no definitely problem. link it all up in the the show notes so people can check it out okay. and uh, get enrolled. Yeah, I'd I'd love to uh, see some cool people from the Verge community. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Well, hopefully, see some of our founders listening there. Erica, thank you so much for thank taking you. the time to share your expertise. I, I always love a good chat with you and getting to spend some time together. So likewise. We'll, now now that you're going to be a New Yorker, hopefully, we'll. Yeah. we'll We'll do more of it. <laughs> of course. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Thanks cool. so much. Thank you. That's it for our conversation with Erica Dignan Minahan. Make sure you give her a follow on Twitter. She's at Erica Dignan Minahan. You can find that link in the show notes, of course. Uh, make sure you also check out this virtual accelerator program, which you can just find by Googling Co-Founders Lab Accelerator. Uh, very cool program. They are doing open enrollment right now, so you can check it out. Highly recommend uh, checking out some of those mentors that are there and some of the programs and sort of process they put behind launching new ideas and building them to scale. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you tuning in and the continued support. Thank you for all of the reviews and subscribes, particularly on iTunes, which is just growing every single week. Thank you so much. And I will look forward to seeing you next week.
I just wanted to remind you real quick that Powder Keg is presented by Verge, which is a network of local communities with global reach for tech entrepreneurs, investors, and top talent growing companies beyond Silicon Valley. We have a ton of free resources for starting and growing your business at vergehq.com. We also host several events every month around the country. So check us out and see where we're at. I would love to link up with you in person, learn a little bit more about what you're working on and how we can help. So again, that's vergehq.com. And of course, you can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at Hunkler. That's at H-U-N-C-K. L-E-R. I appreciate all of your feedback, all the conversation and dialogue there. Thank you so much for continuing to give great feedback, great ideas for future shows. And of course, let me know how I can help. I want to help you. I want to help your business. And I want to help make this podcast better and better so that, again, we're helping more and more people the more interviews we do, the more episodes we have. So thanks to everyone who has done that. And of course, thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who has left us a review this past week and subscribed on iTunes. You can leave us your honest review by using this link, powderkeg.co slash iTunes. Please give us a subscribe while you're at it and we'll be forever indebted to you because it's your reviews, it's your subscriptions and your feedback that help us get better and reach more people to build bigger and better businesses that really matter. Thank you so much for tuning in.